to another edition of Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. It's a wonderful day to fly a kite, although local disclaimer, kite flying conditions may vary by location. But first, let's talk about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. We are talking today about Minute 60, which begins with Max looking back at a wind chime getting blown around. And it ends with the waiting ones running down a sand dune. Don't let them say their hair's too long, because we don't care. With Sean German and Dave Palace ending out the week with us, we can't go wrong. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yeah. Julia, Rick, thank you for for having us back. We're very excited. Here at the tail end of the week, we start off, the wind is still blowing, and in this first shot, Max looks behind him at a wind chime that is just being blown about. Now, I call it a wind chime for really lack of better phrasing. It could technically be a mobile or something like that, Mm -hmm. but the way it's clanging around against its disparate parts, it looks to me like a wind chime. But the important thing about this piece of set dressing is not so much that it's blowing around, but what it's made of. Because if you look at it, those little dangly bits are actually just rounds of ammunition. Oh, yeah. Right. Which Max would definitely recognize. Mm-hmm. That's a good That's a good thing you, you pointed that out. Um, that's, it's good in the sense that they don't know what it is. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like any other scavenger would go, ooh, bullets, and then immediately rip them down and load it up. But these kids are so innocent they see these little metal things as nice things that click together. Mm. Yeah, it makes me, well, it kind of reaches back to some of the things we've, we've talked about earlier in the week in terms of how long have these kids been on their own and how long was it after the apocalypse? Because going by these ages, all but the very oldest of these people would be, they just weren't around when society was there. You know, it's what, 16, 17, maybe 18 years after the events of Mad Max, the first movie. So maybe a couple of the older folks, but, you know, were around before the apocalypse, but they certainly wouldn't have any memories. And it must have been quite a long time. I imagine maybe the adults use the firearms but for safety's sake, at that time, none of the children were old enough to be taught. So, they, you know, they've never used these. So they were never taught what these things are. And the adults have been gone on for, you know, gone for so long. And um, like you said, Rick, they, they're, they've been good. They've been following instructions. And that instruction was just wait. So they haven't, they haven't experimented or played around or otherwise discovered what these things are other than little weights to put at the end of strings for, for your wind chimes. I imagine that in the first couple of years after the plane crash, when the adults were still around, they probably realized pretty quickly that the ammunition that they had was in very short supply. And so even though the lead hunter among the adults would carry the rifle out on hunts, they would probably be very careful to not burn through that ammunition and resort more to like what we see these kids using spears and throwing darts and things like that. 
And so as the years go on, these little bits of ammunition get tied to the end of strings. And sure, the lead hunter is still carrying the gun, but he's doing it in such a way that it's not functioning as a gun. It's more or less a really weighty spear. Although that's a spoiler for two (laughs) weeks from now. (laughs) Yeah, and it may be more symbolic now than anything else. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that, that he's carrying a rifle. Interesting. Slake's walking stick is actually a rifle with just extra stuff strapped to it. Wow. Yeah, it's a nice little bit of set dressing that pays off later on. So I was in the weeds right now until you told me. So are these all children that were survivors of a plane crash? Yes. So these kids... Their story is basically closely following the apocalypse at some time. Captain Walker and his passengers in a plane are flying. The plane crashes in the middle of the desert. Some of the adults die. Some of the adults live. And some of those adults have children. So the adults... The survivors from the plane crash find the crack in the earth. They bring all of their kids there and they set up this little society. Mm -hmm. They start living, they start reproducing. And then eventually the adults are like, hey, camping is great, but it would be nice if we could go back and live in the cities. And so Captain Walker gathers up 20 of the adult survivors and that's the first great leaving. And over time, more and more adults leave, leaving just them that were birthed, as the kids say, behind to populate this area. So really, you're making it sound like like, the first had a real mission when they left, but it sounds like the later adults leaving were kind of like selfish in a way. They were like, I'm I'm out. Like I like they, (laughs) they, they for some reason. Yeah, they don't want to be around all these these loud kids. And they think, well, these other adults aren't coming back. They must have found uh, somewhere else to live rather than their intentions were a little bit more noble than that. Well, we need to find Captain Walker type of thing. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I need to get away from all these kids sort of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Captain Walker like went out to get cigarettes and. (laughs) Just <laughs> never. No, I'm saying the first, yeah, at least the first trip out, that was the most noble of one. I believe that. But I'm saying is that the other adults abandoning the kids might have been. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I said that. I'll have to watch this movie and actually find out for myself. But I, I was just, I was curious if it was like more like I give up kind of thing, and they just like rather than nihilistically telling the kids nothing means anything, they just like got up and left. That's a little dark. It is. But I also could picture it being that way. We've talked a lot this week about these kids not being corrupted and what a corrupting influence would do to the community. So the adults that were already adults when this happened and experienced, you know, modern society and its corrupting effects mm-hmm. may have had thoughts like that. Like, oh, this is really hard and people have already left and maybe they found something better So I want to go find something better. There very well could have been an adult in that group that said, you know what? I think I am going to go out for cigarettes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A single adult. Maybe they were. They said they had no. They didn't have a wife or any kids. They were just on that plane. And they're like, like, I don't want to be the leader of these kids. I just want to go back and see if I could just settle back down. (laughs) That brings to mind a funny situation where you've got the one single guy and there are still a bunch of adults left and he's sitting there thinking, I don't want to be the the leader of all these kids. And other adult survivors are like, no one asked you to be the leader of all these kids. And he's like, I just just don't do well with commitment. And everyone's like, no one's asking you to do this. And then he just flies into a a fury, packs up a 
a water skin and says, I, I, I just need to go find some cigarettes and walks out. And everyone's like, where did, where did Jim go? <laughs> He's been gone for a while. They're like, yeah, but yeah. he was also kind of a douche. So cut, cut to Jim in Barter Town. It also makes me wonder if any people that we saw in Barter Town were from that plane crash. God, were so... adults that took a leaving and found Barter Town and made the choice not to go back. Yeah, that'd be cool if there was yeah. like an Easter egg somewhere that you see that like somehow connects them. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it almost killed Max getting to the crack in the earth. Yeah. Okay. So the journey from Barter Town to the crack in the earth is very difficult and long enough to almost kill you. Yeah. If it's you're one not of those... well supplied. It's one of those trips where you need to have more than just a single water flask. Mm. Yes. And it's an arduous journey. Not everybody is going to survive. And if they find Barter Town, they may not think they can go back. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm. Well, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be any recognition. Well, I guess they wouldn't. I was just thinking when further down the road, when the small group that ventures out and reaches Barter Town and then escapes Barter Town, there, we don't see anything from any of those folks that they recognize, oh, it's those kids that I left out you know, out in the crack of the earth, but I guess they, they, they see the train leaving, but they maybe the, the, you know, sort of the citizens of Barter Town don't necessarily know who's on board other than they're leaving with Master. When we first met Pig Killer, we heard his story about, oh, I killed a pig. I had to feed the kids. We thought, oh, what would it be like if he was one of the adults that left the crack in the earth and he tried to steal a pig from Barter Town mm-hmm. to bring back to the crack in the earth mm-hmm. to feed the kids? And we thought it was, I don't know, just a little too much. Like it was a mm-hmm. little too much of a connection. We saw it more of him being delusional, imagining a family that he had to feed. Yeah. But that would probably be that similar type of thing. An adult from the crack in the earth takes a leaving, finds Barter Town somehow, and then just gets roped up into the economical intrigues of the space and gets trapped in some sort of indentured servitude and cannot go back. I think that's very plausible. I'm going to say, I'm, once again, hypothetically, I'm just going to throw this one out. Maybe the origins of Barter Town was some of the survivors. And then we talk about the corruption and just those people either left, they left that Barter Town or they got killed off. And then, you know, this new darkness kind of took over yeah i really want a barter town origins movie starring a stand-in for a young tina turner Mm -hmm. and you can cast someone to be you know young master and young blaster and throw (laughs) dr deal good and the collector in there you know really give some solid backstory to barter town because it is a very interesting concept the idea of a woman who was nobody before the apocalypse suddenly rising to such prominence that she can become the leader of a wasteland settlement that's actually pretty stable Mm. yeah with you know a few nitpicky little things all things considered yeah Maybe as a Zoe Saldana or someone like that for for Auntie. Um, yeah, I think there's there's certainly a, a, a great tale there to be told. And I want to know. I mean, one of my favorite characters in this movie is Iron Bar. Like, I want to know his deal. What's his backstory? Because he is nigh invincible. <laughs> we see he has brushes with death every ten minutes or so in this movie, and, and keeps coming back. So yeah. yeah, there's there's certainly a mythology there to be mined. There is quite a group of interesting characters, especially in Barter Town, that, yeah, backstory would be so much fun. Mm. I'd be happy with a graphic novel like they did between this movie and the next before Fury Road. Mm -hmm. They did a series 
of graphic novels kind of getting us to the point of fury road mm, yeah because the mad max game as fun as it was uh really felt like its own thing again like they only dropped like a few, a few hints of the fury road mythology kind of near the end yeah since I discovered the comics, I have very mixed feelings about the story of the Mad Max 2015 video game. I love the gameplay. Yeah. And I love how it all works. But the story itself, I try to keep myself distanced from. There's just something about when you fire up a Mad Max game and they begin with a flashback to him before the collapse and it shows him swimming in a swimming pool with his wife and daughter. And I'm like, okay, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> Max never owned a swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> he and Jesse rented what was essentially a loft apartment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he also didn't have a daughter. He had a son. Like, come on, Avalanche. Get it right. <laughs> For all of those Avalanche employees that worked on the Mad Max video yeah. game and actually listened to this podcast, there's probably probably just a ton of crossover. And I don't know. I mean, I kind of I still like it was nice that that game. The game still was fun. Like, I, I always like I mean, it could have came off as like, you know, some multiplayer game that could have like dead you know been dead before it even started you know a lot of companies would do that oh just apocalyptic server and everyone just runs around and makes their own madness you know what now that you brought it up that gets me thinking there is such a explosion lately of these battle royale style games where you've got one against 99 just everybody fighting each other what we need is a battle royale mode in a post-apocalyptic themed game where you have two teams one team of raiders one team of survivors and the survivors defend a tanker and you basically get to recreate that end scene of road warrior mm -hmm. like that is a niche that has not been filled yeah and I, yeah i know those battle royale games it's pretty much as you could tell at times where it's like the, the, the least it's it's a cheap to make they just make a big map and then they just randomly spawn items and then the players make their own gameplay so mm -hmm. for a developer as long as you make sure the servers run well that all like 100 people when it first starts up run around right the game pretty much plays itself, um, and it's an addicting mentality. If you want to get the chicken dinner, you want to keep playing, you want to keep. And then Fortnite has that whole crafting thing. But yeah, it's um, I said I played a lot of them. Like, I yeah, I kind of fell off because it got to the point where you're like, eh, it's you're gonna lose more than you're gonna win, and there's always so many like close call stories you can have before you get bored. But yeah, I like the <laughs> idea of like having a game like that, but you have. Like a third act that's different. It's not just two people waiting in the bushes for one guy to move. Um, there, there's something more to do. So yeah, I would like that. Some, some more of a team mechanic on defending, attacking, and you're moving across this. You have a huge map. Now you got to drive mm -hmm. across it. Yeah. Now, speaking of something like PUBG or Fortnite, where you start the game by parachuting or gliding your way in this next shot of the minute that we see is the wind whipping up and catching mr skyfish's kite which pulls it up off the platform it's sitting on mm -hmm. and the hat being caught up by the wind in minute 58 was significant but the fact that mr skyfish's giant bird-shaped kite starts to rise as well well that's serious yeah because in the next shot we see mr skyfish step forward and he's looking at it the kite lifts up even higher and higher and then he shouts with all of his childlike exuberance, this is it. It's like they're seeing a sign that they've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was exactly my note, that this this is something they've been waiting for, and they know, they all know how to react. That they are, well, we don't know quite where they're going, but they're all going somewhere. And it isn't like word, it, it seems like word doesn't need to spread. No one has to say, well, obviously we say, you know, oh, it's time to go. 
but they all know where they're going. They all know what that means. It doesn't take a lot of convincing to get the whole horde, everyone heading up those ladders and over the ridge. Earlier this week, Slake said, we're ready. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Yeah. And he really meant it. They were ready to go at a moment's notice. They got their moment and they ran. It's, yeah, this is us Philly fans at the Super Bowl, you know? <laughs> this was it. The birds, the birds are going up, baby. <sighs> Get the mummers. We're going. <laughs> and the music. Oh, the music in this minute is spectacular. Yeah, the, the swell. It's so, yeah, it's so meaningful and it has a real presence that really elevates what's happening here. And you're reminded that the composer, he also did the composing for movies like Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Arabia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you really see the connection here where he's doing these big grand pieces that have a lot of meaning behind them and really participate in telling the story. Yeah, so this music, this made me think of Nina Rota. I knew you were going to say it. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> uh, Dave, you know me too well. But, uh, you know, he's a, another movie composer who worked with Fellini a lot and then also worked on The Godfather and The Godfather 2 and stuff. But this, the horns and the cymbals, and it's it has a very march feeling, but yep. it's not like a Sousa march. But there's definitely a pace to kind of... We're moving Get you now. Going. This, this is, yeah, it, it gets us going. And they, yeah, that's what it made me think about. This is classic Maurice Jari. Yeah, classic Maurice. Exactly. Wait, right there at second 27, Screws Loose touches Max's shoulder. Now, does Screws Loose talk a lot or is he a quiet type? All right. I don't think Screw Loose ever talks in this movie. In fact, I like that you brought up the fact that he jumps down from his ledge and touches Max on the shoulder because up to this point, Screw Loose has very purposely been very hands-off mm. with everybody around him. He has never, before this moment, purposely made contact with another individual. In fact, he was on his lonesome when they first arrived with Max when he found himself suddenly surrounded by other children. He immediately removed himself. Interesting. So the fact that he's willing to reach out to Max and just touch him, even for a moment. Yeah. It shows Max's significance to the tribe children. Yeah, that's that's like a that's a big like thank you for this kind of uh meaning behind it that he's he's so inspired that he's going to join with everyone running outside. So as all of these kids are running up and out of the crack in the earth, they're all going up this one ladder through this one opening which must lead up into the sands. We're getting a nice sense of where everything is. Savannah can be seen helping one of the smaller children, this is Eddie, up the rocks, but Eddie lets go of Savannah's hand and comes back and grabs Max to pull him along because Max isn't moving fast enough to keep up with the rest of the kids. Yeah, I mean, he, because yeah, now he's kind of like sullen. He's like, oh no, they're leaving the, the safety. It's like, there's mm -hmm. no way to wrangle these kids back into this crack in, because now they see the wind. They think it's time to run, baby. We gotta go. Yeah. It's like, well, no. they do kind of quickly for, for how much this was their savior returned for the last mm -hmm. two minutes. This gust of wind comes through. Well, I guess it's a little more of a gust, but the wind comes. They see that as a sign. And all of a sudden, they've, for the most part, forgotten Max. They're going on to whatever they do. Yeah, they leave him behind in order to run off. And Max starts following them, I would say, out of curiosity. Like, where are all these kids going? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's how I interpreted that hand on the shoulder from Screw Loose is... You know, he's he's not a very demonstrative guy, but that's that's him saying, 
come on, let's go. Like, this is exciting. Stuff is happening. You know, that's as excited as Screwloose gets, it seems. Come, Captain Walker, let us run the hilly brush. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what he's saying with that hand on the shoulder. And this place empties out. It's, I'm very curious to see what they, like, what are they, what are they looking at? You know, if we turn the camera around. What would we see? Like, what would we just see? I know a big wasteland, of desert. Like, it's, you know, <sighs> we know that Gecko is in a leg brace that he walks slow. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how he managed to get out of the crevice at the same pace as everybody else. Mm. You know, it's an interesting thing as we transition out of the crack in the earth into the dune scene you can get a really good look at all of these tribe kids running down this dune the only one that seems to be infirm as he's running is there's one kid in an arm sling keeping his arm stationary gecko's sonic stick thing is being carried by anna goanna i don't see gecko anywhere in this running group and yet as we're going to see next week Gecko is there on the plane already. So not only did Gecko get out of the crack in the earth before everybody, he got down the dune across the way and to their destination before everybody else as well. Hmm. Well, that's quite a feat. <laughs> Especially for someone with a bum leg. Yep. Well, he, he must have had help. I mean, they're a close-knit community. They stick together. They help each other out. That's got to be it. There's no other way it could have worked. So for there supposedly being 50 some odd kids in this group, I'm looking at this giant crew running along and I only really see about 35. I'm a little bit torn because you look at the number 52 and you're like, oh, that's a lot of kids. I don't blame them for not doing 52 kids. But at the same time, 30 is a lot of kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's almost like you might as well go full throttle and get 52 kids. <laughs> What's another 20? <laughs> yeah, at that point. I yeah. feel like they didn't plan on people freezing the frame <laughs> and, and counting the children. This is a common problem that people who do movies by the minute run into. Those little instances where... You know, for a fact, not having it confirmed, but you know in your gut that the movie maker never intended for that particular shot to be looked at that closely. Yeah. There was no way that Miller and Ogilvy were like, okay, we need to have Gecko on the plane when they get to it, but we don't want to have him hobbling down the sand dune. Oh, well, we'll just pull him out of the shot. No one's going to notice. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they're wrong. <laughs> Because we noticed 30 some odd years later. You really do get to see the green as we go up. You get to see the green tree canopies. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, uh, there's this is beautiful. This is honestly beautiful. You got trees, you got green. And it just transitioned to uh, Wasteland Dune. You're like, no, <laughs> there's nothing out there. The drastic change between biomes, between the first shot and the second shot is deeply worrying like there is such a night and day difference between Mm -hmm. lots of water lots of vegetation and then suddenly sand dunes like these two things you don't feel like they should be butting up against each other but they more or less are (sighs) yeah Yeah, and that just emphasizes the point that max is trying to make there's nothing out there you're you're better Mm -hmm. off staying where you are in fact the people out there if they knew this was here They'd be fighting to get in. Yeah. I don't know exactly where they say it, but they do say it somewhere either in the storybook or the novelization or the movie. But the waiting ones refer to these sand dunes as 
the nothing because mm-hmm. there's nothing out there and it's also slowly consuming fantasia and if bastion doesn't name the unnamed princess or queen or whatever it is you know all of fantasia is going to disappear we can't have that nope no so slake <laughs> needs to cry out the name of his mother just as long as it's not Moonchild. it's joanna that's a normal name <laughs> joanna the fire tender yep <laughs> So this last scene, the fade happens right around second 48. This scene is more or less the entirety of next week's minute. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't like. We'll these, figure it out. We yeah, always do. We're going to figure out. We always find some way to turn the desolate into a blooming oasis yeah <laughs> now sean you've seen this movie multiple times i have were you one of those people that rented it on home video or what's your history with this movie i believe i saw this movie in the theater i i don't Ooh. have any hard memories because it's been a while it's been a few years mm-hmm. but i would have been right around the right age i was certainly familiar with the franchise i saw the second movie road warrior would have been the first that I became aware of Max and his madness. Mm-hmm. And I would have been of the right age to be going to the movies by myself with friends, maybe not driving, but old enough for a parent to drop us off at the theater so that we can then see this movie. And so, yeah, I, I, I have a feeling, I think I saw it in the theater, certainly saw it many, many times on home video, either renting it probably taped it off of HBO at some point and and had that tape worn out. I'm a big fan. I love this movie. I think it's great. And this would have been my go-to for those sort of junior high and high school years. I was a big fan of Star Wars, although after Jedi, there was that long period of time where there were no new Star Wars movies, which at the time we thought was bad. And then we got new Star Wars movies and... Be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah. But <laughs> yes. so I, I was a big Star Wars fan from when I was age appropriate to play with the toys. They really sucked me in with the merchandising. <laughs> so 78 through 83, big Star Wars time for me. Um, I liked Raiders. I was a big fan of Raiders, but not so much of the other movies in that series. So those wouldn't be things that I'd be watching over and over again and and constantly talking about with my friends. In terms of series and trilogies that we would be watching over and over again and we would be discussing, um, for my formative movie years, it would have been this series, these three movies, the first Mm. three of Mad Max, Road Warrior, and then particularly this one, Beyond Thunderdome that that me and my friends would watch over and over again and uh, and that I'm a particular fan of. And, and one of the things that we learn doing this process, this movie by minutes process is one thing we find mistakes, we find continuity errors, we find questions that we don't have answers to. And then we also find that there are things that people don't like and that that's kind of one of the things I'm learning that I didn't realize going back that this movie isn't as popular with the general fandom as it is with me and my friends. And, and maybe part of that is the lack of vehicles. That's certainly a major part yeah. of those first two movies, the, the various vehicles that Max and his comrades, that the other um, MFP officers and then the, the gangs and, and, and whatnot 
until the final scene, really like the last half hour or so, vehicles don't really play a huge part in this movie, which is a break from the previous two. But I wasn't a big car guy, kind of quote unquote, as a teenager and certainly not around the time when this came out. So that was not one of my concerns, was not a negative for me. It was just, eh, this one's a little bit different from the other ones. But um, I like it. And I also like the optimist. I think this is the most optimistic yeah. of those first three movies. And, and you guys have said it, Rick and Julia, early on when you were just kind of introducing, I think mostly when, when you're talking during those uh, during the opening credits and just kind of talking generally about the movie, you make a point to say there really isn't a bad guy that the folks in Bartertown and, and Auntie and, and Master Blaster, they may have different goals that diverge from Max and, and other people. You know, they have their own thing going on that doesn't always line up with what Max wants and his goals. But it's not bad. Yeah, it's not a democracy, but they've got rules and everyone follows the rules. Master Blaster follows the rules. Auntie even is not above the law. So they've got a system that works for them, just like, um, you know, these folks in the crack in the earth, they've got a system that seems to be working for them. They're just, they're different people with different goals, but there isn't a bad guy. There isn't a Lord Humongous. There isn't a toe cutter. Right. There's no one like that in this movie. Yeah, I love the inherent optimism of a post-apocalyptic movie. The idea that even though everything has been destroyed, humanity lives on mm -hmm. in some form or another. Yeah. Speaking of humanity in some form living on, Dave, <laughs> where you've watched particularly just Fury Road, and now you've come back to watch these three minutes of Thunderdome, where is your interest level? Are you going to run out and watch all of Thunderdome? Do you think you'll try and watch some of the first movies in the trilogy where are you at at this point yeah i don't think there's any downside to just starting with mad max go to road warrior go to this i don't i mean like i don't know what my opinions are going to be of each three each uh of the three films but the reason i want to watch fury road the reason i went was probably when i when you saw those trailers like the effects look so good mm -hmm. that it's like from a technical standpoint i have to see it because it looks like we have a great mix of real vehicles. We have this great CGI of, of storms. It was kind of a thing where, it, and I felt like it welcomed me in the fact that like, hey, don't worry if you didn't see the other ones, you can work with this. And I was like, okay, cool. And yeah, it was a great film. Um, it was probably one of, yeah, I guess it was probably one of the top five films of 2015. Because mm -hmm. I remember 2015 being a really good movie year. Because mm. that was probably up there. It was probably like one or two. Because I mean, I think I, I got, I think I got my parents to watch it, and they were like, "Wow, yeah." It was like, like, wow, like you know, my parents are just being old people, and they were like, "No, this is good. This is good." <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, I think this probably was. Uh, might have been number one probably until Sicario and then I think that and then I think it became number two because Sicario was like that was a movie that, that like talked to me and I still watch that movie a lot mm. but yeah like I felt really comfortable like being like kind of walking in not knowing you know anything about it and having a good time with it and yeah I have friends who watch the original ones and I actually kind of texted my one friend today saying that hey I want a podcast about Beyond the Thunderdome and I really haven't seen any of the original ones he's like he's like ah I don't even like that one I said well all right well I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give it, you know, my, I'm going to give it, give it a chance. Yeah. It could be the same reason that certain people don't like certain sequels where it's like, it doesn't feel like in their opinion, it keeps like integrity, the character, or yeah, maybe it was, maybe they, they wanted more car chase and that's why they, they really loved Fury Road. They get to see that same visceral car chase of, uh, 
of Road Warrior. Yeah. There are definitely worse third entries in a series. I mean, Thunderdome is streets ahead better than Superman 3. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, certainly. Yeah. Well, I think I, I'm trying to think about even seeing Superman. I'm trying to I'm honestly thinking, I'm like, I don't think Superman I, 3 is the one with Richard Pryor. Yeah. Who is the computer I hacker? I see clips. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I see clips. Yeah. No, I'm not it's the the office back. space of the Superman franchise. <laughs> but I think you make a very good point, Dave. And one of the particular things why I like this series of movies so much is when you talked about, well, you just go in Fury Road and it seems like it'll stand apart well and and you weren't worried about not having seen the previous films. And I think all these movies work very well on their own. You know, I came in the middle. I saw Road Warrior was my first. And I think that got big in America. Uh, and then later they brought Mad Max over to say, hey, you know, there's this other movie that came before. But they all stand alone. This works out really well. And in particular, this scene talking, you know, Dave, this is you've only seen this bit. You haven't seen the whole movie. And you can watch this and enjoy it and think about the relationship that Max would have, this loner coming out of the desert and, and coming upon this sort of encampment around this oasis with these children. And that's fine and that's entertaining and you think about it and discuss it and so forth and not even know, oh, Max had a family of his own at some point and he had a son and he had the interaction with the feral child in the other movie that the layers are there for those that recognize it and can appreciate it. And if you miss it, you don't know that you're missing it. There's enough there that it does stand alone. And then if you have seen the other movies and you put it in context of the greater story and, and the whole world, then it's even better. But these movies, I think in terms of sequels, they stand alone so well. The quality of the entertainment and the production and the writing and everything as standalone movies, much better than a lot of other sequels and a lot of other series. And then I think if you, I think I said this Monday, but again, Dave, if you go back and you watch those other movies, mm -hmm. the first three, that you will like Fury Road even more mm -hmm. than you do now. Yeah, there's no downside to that. Okay. Yeah. I kind of see the Mad Max movies very much like the Sergio Leone Clint Eastwood movies. Mm -hmm. Like you don't necessarily need to know who Clint Eastwood is at the beginning of each one of those movies. But if you've seen the previous movies that Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood did together, it colors the character as he's walking into this new story. Okay. Very much like that. What is, uh, what's the word? I mean, what is the word on, I mean, they talked about, you know, get Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron and doing some kind of, uh, you know, keeping the iron hot and doing another one. Is there any new updates on that as of what, three years later? The latest news that we haven't really gotten any updates for revolves around a lawsuit between Miller and Warner Brothers. Uh, Basically, there's mm. a he said, she said situation about a bonus and completing the film on time and under budget versus being pushed into overtime by reshoots. And it's a very sticky situation that we definitely are not experts on. Okay. We've mentioned it in the past, and we've discussed it several times, and we probably don't want to say too much. We don't want to comment on a case that's still ongoing. Oh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I, that's what stings. It's, you know, he re reinvigorated the franchise, really, and... Clearly, there's some contract, you know, contract stuff that you know the lawyers have got to get involved and let's slow things down. That's a shame. Yeah, that's Hollywood, all right. Mm. But here at the end of the week, Dave and Sean, do you guys have any plugs that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I'm going to give you this one. You might have already heard about it, but for someone who is interested, we were, we were talking about video games. I think an interesting apocalyptic video game to play. It's a little bit smarter than just a Battle Royale. It just came out on Steam. I think it's for the, just for the PC. It's called Frostpunk. Mm-hmm. And the short of it is you got you have a, uh, a wasteland of just frozen earth and you are considered the leader of the last remnants of civilization that you know about. And you're essentially in a crack in the earth, like literally it's a giant cavern and just it, it, like, almost like a meteor crater. That's what it looks like. You essentially uh, have your the train that you use to supply everyone. You've built it into a heat engine and now you have to essentially play city builder keeping people from freezing to death. Huh. And uh, yeah, it's essentially just turn from, go from sand to just temperature and just and you have to deal with winds. You have to deal with hunting. You start to deal with jobs and stuff where you're going to put bodies. It's um, it really is like I you lose a lot. And what's great is you don't lose in the sense that like the city dies. You lose in the sense that you're voted out. And then the, mm. the, the story ends with you leaving the crater and just people talking shit about you. <laughs> like uh, we'll be better off without him and you're like i hope so because i'm definitely gonna die out here in the wilderness i hope you don't so it, it really you get to play the politics of having these moral questions asked to you with the um trying to keep a city a civilization warm and see if you can try and rebuild so nice yeah that's my that's my official plug and then yeah uh, five minutes of mystery i talk about mystery men groundhog day you know, Groundhog Minute, we talk about Groundhog Day, the usuals. But I wanted to plug something a little bit more, you know, closer to what you're working with. Nice. Sean? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, the, the Groundhog Minute, the five minutes of mystery, the five minutes of mime, you can go back. There's the back catalog last year. I did Spinal Tap Minute, covering the movie This Is Spinal Tap with a great co-host, Heidi Bennett. And Heidi went on to do uh, Cabin Minute Cast, covering the movie Cabin in the Woods. So if you haven't listened to any of those podcasts and you're interested in those movies, those are good things to uh, to check out. And of course, we want to thank you, Rick and Julia, for being our hosts and, and having us around this week. Yes, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, you are yeah. very welcome. Thank you for joining us. As for our regular listeners, we are going to put a pin in these kids running down a dune. Next Monday, we're going to get to see the sky raft that all of the waiting ones are so proud of. And uh, that's about it, to tell the truth. So I will stop talking about the regular show, transition over into our weekend show like I like to do. We are in week 20 of our Patreon show, Anarchy Road. This week on Anarchy Road, we're going to see Peter. His memories are flooding back to him. So not only does he remember his prior adventures with Wendy and the boys, but he also remembers his origin story, which chronicles Gwyneth Paltrow's slow transformation into Maggie Smith. And there's also a bit about Peter marrying Moira and then starting a family and blah, 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 blah. But there'll be plenty of time to talk about that when we're on Patreon there. So three bucks a month. Come join us and listen to that. Otherwise, we'll just see you on Monday. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute.com. 
Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link, join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link. Thank you for joining us for Minute 60 of Beyond Thunderdome. We'll see you next time. Everybody!